Welcome to the Four Evansville podcast, where we spend time highlighting some of the needs and dreams of our community so that we can learn together how we can not just be in Evansville, but to be for Evansville. My name is Ross Chapman, and I'm here with Jonathan Betcher, and we're really excited about the conversation that you're going to hear today, continuing our conversation on mental wellness and highlighting that as a thing that we need in our community for everyone to be able to flourish and to experience um, just the opportunity to grow and do life life as we would all like to do it. Right. And uh, as always, we have two really great guests for you today. Um, We're actually not interviewing both of these guests at the same time in this episode. So you're going to hear sort of two separate conversations in this episode. The first one is with someone you might recognize. Claire Ballard from the Hot 96 Morning Show is with us. That might seem like an odd choice for a conversation on mental health because she's not a doctor or a therapist or something. Um, But she, she has been... Uh, really open about her own journey, seeing a therapist and being intentional about her own mental health in a way that I think has helped a lot of other people kind of open up and recognize like we're all struggling with different stuff. And so we really enjoyed our our conversation with her. She had a lot of great uh, insights to share from that experience. And then the second half of the conversation, we'll hear from Dr. Mark Stenstrom, um, who's kind of the other end of that spectrum that uh, he's somebody who helps people walk through different mental health challenges that they're experiencing and and has education in mental health and in, in counseling. And so he really helped us understand like, what does it take to be mentally healthy? What are some of the challenges that we often face? And how can we be more mentally healthy as individual people and as a community? And how has the COVID-19 pandemic and this really turbulent year that we've had influence, you know, impact us? And and what should we be looking out for in terms of our own mental health? And, and how can we care for ourselves and for each other? Yeah, I just thought this conversation was great. It gave us just a chance to say, hey, it's it's what it'd be like if you went to talk to a therapist or a, or a counselor. And here's what it'd be like if you were sharing your story and what you could benefit from. And there's a lot here. And we're, we're real glad you're joining us. And I look forward to your feedback as well. So Claire, the first question that I want to ask is, why is mental health something that everybody should be thinking about or talking about, even if they feel like maybe they don't have any kind of severe mental health challenge. What's the importance of this topic for us to be talking about it? Well, I'm not an expert, you know, and I think that all I can speak to is my own experience. And I found it enormously beneficial for my life. I was one of those people that didn't really think I had anything majorly wrong. There was, there was definitely something that pushed me into it, but I didn't suffer from anxiety or depression. I didn't have any, you know, majorly traumatic event that, you know, I just felt like, oh, I need outside help. Hmm. And what I learned then in therapy was that we all, no matter how great our upbringing was, how lucky we've been in our experiences or whatever throughout our life, we all have little things that shape us and, and make us into who we are. And some of those some of those things about yourself that maybe helped you get through a tough time at one point, if they linger around too long, they can create some other issues for you that maybe you wouldn't even be aware of. Mm -hmm. It takes an expert or it takes someone, 
uh, being able to sit down with you, go through the details of your life to be able to point out those things so that then you can understand yourself better. You can understand other people better. You can maybe make better decisions, you know, for your own life. So I think too, just with technology and social media and our busy lives and schedules, you know, maybe we're spending less time in community. And so we're increasingly more lonely, especially within the last year. Yeah. It's kind of become normal to put ourselves in situations that aren't necessarily mentally healthy and we might not realize it because that's just what everybody's doing. And you really do need to be taught that like tools to correct some of those issues or to have better mental health. Sometimes I think we just get to going through the motions. We don't even realize it. Yeah. Since you brought that up, like what, what is something that you've learned? Like what's a skill or a tool that you've kind of go, Hey, this is really helpful for me. And you kind of keep using it and it's, you know, providing some self-awareness or health to your life. I think that journaling is something that has helped me a lot. There's something about writing down those things, like forcing yourself to work through the things that you're thinking, as opposed to, avoid. you know, you, you know, you're like kind of thinking about something, but you're not focused on the thought necessarily. You don't actually go there. But when you force yourself to write it out, there's something really therapeutic about that. I think it's freeing. It's like a release. So it's sometimes you can write out those things that you feel and just instantly feel kind of a weight off of your shoulders with that. That was a good exercise for me. And then my favorite thing that I learned is called the big five. And it's just a personality index that my therapist really likes. And I think a lot of other therapists use it for reasons that they would be better at explaining than I, but it's basically five traits and you, you know, you just take a simple test and it rates you on a scale for each of those five traits, either high, low, or, you know, somewhere in the middle and seeing where I fell on all of those helped me so much in understanding who I am as a person, understanding how I get along with other people, and then understanding why I found myself in certain situations that maybe in the past I would have just chalked up to as bad luck. Like mm. whether that was in dating, oh, I've just been really unlucky. Or I, whether that's with certain situations at work, oh, I, I tend to have an issue with this kind of person and I don't, it just is. But learning about my personality type, maybe also about personality types of other people, it helped me understand, oh, this is just, that's why. Mm. And some of those things you can kind of work on. And then some of those things just are. But it provides a really good understanding. So that's a tool that I go back to all the time. So that is something that people can take like online. They can just do a little simple little test. and mm-hmm. You can Google Big Five and, and there's a free version of it. It's really interesting. It doesn't take long. There are, there are so many great personalities t- uh, tests, whether that's Myers-Briggs or whatever. This was just one that really gave me a good understanding in really simplified terms too. I think out of every one that I've ever taken, this one was my favorite. Yeah. So it's just kind of like tools to help you better understand yourself, better understand other people, some of the underlying things that are maybe playing a role in relationships and ways that you're interacting with people and with the world. So I want to ask you, um, you know, you've been pretty open about kind of sharing your own personal experiences and journey. And, you know, I think to some degree, 
everybody, if they're on social media and stuff, has kind of a a public dimension to their life. <laughs> but as a radio show host, like you have a very public dimension to your life. And I think the impulse of most people is to put their best foot forward and kind of present the best version of themselves to people. And so can you talk a little bit about your decision to be more open with like, hey, this is an area that I wanted to be intentional about working through some things, uh, seeking some some help and guidance from a professional on like, why did you decide to open up more publicly about that? And what have you seen as kind of the the benefit of that for you personally, or for people who have heard your story? I think there are probably a lot of reasons or factors that went into that decision. For one, in the big five, I score incredibly high in openness, off the charts in openness. So when it comes to new ideas, exploring new ideas, talking about new ideas, that comes really natural to me. Hmm. I've also been in radio for about 10 years now and learned how to open up and share parts of myself for, you know, the benefit of the audience and the show. And I don't think that I've mastered that by any means, but I definitely, the line between personal and private becomes pretty blurry, yeah. uh, pretty fine. So I'm kind of an open book about most things in my life. And that's not to say that I don't still probably somehow look to share the most perfect version of myself. <laughs> I also think that when I approached this, because it wasn't depression or anxiety or a divorce or something like that, that, that led me into therapy, I saw it kind of as a project. And I've always thought of self-development that way. I've always been really interested in that. I read a lot of books on stuff like that. I like personality tests. I wanted to go in and say, what's wrong with me? How, <laughs> what's going on? It was really interesting to me. So then to be able to share that, once I learned some cool things, it was like, I needed everyone to know how great this was. Mm. And, and the big five was the first real breakthrough I had, I think. For example, when I found out that I score low, not like crazy low, but low in agreeableness. I'm not really just like, I don't just walk around and disagree with people all day long, but <laughs> I definitely don't, <laughs> I don't agree just to agree. You know, there are some people that really like to keep the peace. And so if they disagree with you, they may not say anything because it's not worth it. That's not me. And once I learned that about myself, I could trace that back to so many issues that I had, especially when you look at other things too, like how do other women score on agreeableness? Well, a lot of women score pretty high in agreeableness. So now I'm out of the norm. So you can imagine how that could create some issues, both with women and men. Right. And men, actually, this is just according to my therapist <laughs> okay. that he shared with me. <laughs> I feel a stereotype of men coming. <laughs> I mean, for all of it. But um, for men, when they ask men what they prefer, they prefer women who score high in agreeableness. And um, I ain't that. So um, <laughs> that could cause problems for me, whether that's in the workplace. I work in a male dominated field. I work around a lot of men, a lot of men that are older than me. And I also work with, you know, a fewer number of women, but maybe in closer situations. And I was kind of at a young age thrust into a management role. And so it was difficult for me to be well-liked, which I really wanted. Right. And, and I was so confused and I went to therapy and I was, I was like, what am I doing wrong? 
and come to find out I wasn't really doing anything wrong, which was really nice, but yeah. it, it was just so cool to hear then, but this is at least maybe part of the reason why this is happening. Yeah, that's great. So I'm curious, like when, once you learned that, like, did you start making changes about how you're communicating with people? I mean, you probably noticed it more. Did you decide that's just who I am and I'm going to keep being that way? Or is, are there things that you have changed because of that? Yeah, I think both. Like there are some, there are some things that gives me some peace and like, this is who I am. I really like who I am. This helps me in certain situations. I'm at a great advantage in some situations because I'm not afraid to say what I really think, or I'm not afraid to disagree. Um, and then you're right. And then in, in other ways, it's kind of led me to go, okay, maybe if I can be more agreeable in certain situations, it benefits my relationships in ways that are, are absolutely worth it. So you get to kind of identify those things about yourself, I think, which is helpful. I mean, you don't, you can't just completely change who you are, but we can always improve. Yeah. Just knowing more about who you are and and understanding that that's a facet of your personality gives you the ability to navigate it better. Yeah, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. So I think most people who haven't been in any kind of therapy or counseling, like have a particular idea of what that might be like, like, great, they're going to drag out all of my dirty little secrets and things that I'm most afraid and ashamed of. And it's going to be really uncomfortable for me. And, and they're just going to sit there and listen. Yeah. And it's going to be really awkward. And so I'm curious, you know, you kind of had this very open approach, like this is a project. Was there some nervousness there as well? And uh, how, how was that experience maybe different from what you expected it to be? How is it different from what you think most other people kind of expect it to be or think it to be? And uh, yeah, how, how could you maybe just explain how that is uh, for, for somebody who has never been to therapy before? The f first thing I'll say is that I think any good therapist is going to be invested in, in getting to know you and making you comfortable. So regardless of what your feelings are going in or what your expectation is, you know, their job is to understand you and to get to know you. And so you can come in however you are with those nervous feelings, share what you feel comfortable sharing. And, and that's okay. Just get there. It will be okay. Once you get there. For me, the way that it happened was completely different than what I had expected as far as what I was going to get out of it. I thought like each session we were going to have things to work on and he was going to identify certain things that I was doing wrong or whatever. And then we'd write, I'd write them down, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. it'd be like problem solving. We're going to crack the code. And I went, I went because I was frustrated with my job not my, not what I did, but just different things that came up at work over my career since college. I was frustrated in my dating relationships. Those were the two main things. And so that's what I expected to talk about. And instead I went the first three sessions without him really telling me anything. He asked me questions, questions that I felt had nothing to do with my dating experiences or my job. And finally, at the end of the third session, he's like, are you ready to hear what I think now? And I'm like, please, like, <laughs> please tell me what you think. You're like starting to wonder, like, is this guy really a therapist or is he just a really good listener? Yeah. <laughs> you do. You start to go like, I'm paying for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
and he traced everything. So I lost my dad. It'll be 11 years this July. And I loved my dad and we were close. He was an alcoholic. So like, as, as I got older and in, in the last several years, we grew apart some, but we always had a really deep connection and he died of a heart attack. And so it was sudden. So there wasn't, you know, but I, I did have a lot of peace in his death. So for me, that door was closed and I was good. And then, like I said, after those, those first three sessions, somehow a lot of things came back to my dad and our relationship. And I was shocked. I mean, there were tears (laughs) and it opened up a lot of new feelings. You know, for me, I think after my dad died, there was just all I felt was so much love for my dad and how God, I just miss him so much. And I wish he was here for all these moments. And then as we started talking about some things, I found myself really angry at my dad. And that was a tough thing to process and go through, especially with him not being here anymore. But I needed to work through those emotions and things that were unsaid and things that I never, that I pushed away. And, you know, I don't know that that solves some magic issue in my life, but it definitely, we were able to draw a lot of parallels between things that had happened, uh, certain behaviors, thing, you know, certain things in my life and my relationship with my dad. That was huge for me. I never would have discovered that on my own. No self-help book would have helped me understand that or process that. Yeah. It was incredibly powerful. And that that's why I say go to therapy. I know it sounds like, yeah, my dad was an alcoholic. So like, of course, there could have been some issues there. But to me, I had a great childhood. I had great parents mm-hmm. and nothing could have been wrong there. And it just really wasn't true. <laughs> and that's okay. And it was really... I think it was it was really transformative for me. You know, as I was kind of processing our first podcast conversation on this topic, it just kind of occurred to me that like everybody has experienced loss. Everybody has experienced trauma. There's not anybody in the world who hasn't. You know, as you were talking about your dad, it made me think about how oftentimes we we feel like we shouldn't feel a certain way. So we don't allow ourselves to feel a certain way. There's this image of ourselves that we like to project to the world around us. But there's also this image of ourselves that we like to project to ourselves. And just part of this whole puzzle of mental health in Evansville and being a mentally healthy community is is just to be able to be human with each other and and acknowledge the fact that we've been through some things and that we face challenges and that it's okay to get some help with facing those challenges. Those are excellent uh, comments, Jonathan and Claire. I think it's, you know, it's, it is encouraging for people to hear someone tell the world basically their story. <laughs> Just gives us a little bit more courage to tell our story to some people we trust. I mean, we've said this a number of times. It helps you understand yourself more. It helps you understand understand other people more in that is a lot of grace. You know, I think about my dating relationships and things when they haven't gone well, and I've been hurt by someone that I've, I've dated, you know, a lot of our unhealed traumas and things that we've been through, that's how they show up. They show up in our relationships with other people. And so I guess in understanding that you're able to release and forgive and let go. You know, I could hold on to this anger that I have for an ex for a really long time. To be frank, it I work on that. It's hard. <laughs> but 
when you really understand that, like what they did that hurt you came from something else in their life that they didn't work through, oftentimes it just makes letting go a lot easier. Yeah. It sounds like one huge way that just talking to somebody has enriched your life is just the idea of empathy, you know, and that you're able to connect better, understand people better. And I, and we talk a lot about how empathy is something we, we need a lot more of in an isolated culture, you know, and I just think that's a huge reason for us to say, Hey, you might not be able to talk to a therapist, uh, but you probably could go and download a, you know, an assessment of your personality and start to work it out with your friends and family and say, Hey, I got some stuff I need to talk about. Would you mind listening and asking some good questions? Um, and I think that does develop a greater sense of empathy for others as well as self-awareness, which is really challenging to get to when we constantly project, as you were saying, you know, what we hope to be, uh, to the world and to ourselves. Yeah. And when you, when you have those issues that you have pent up that you don't know really even exist, you've never talked about them, you know, you haven't even identified them. So you're not self-aware, right? It's just like bull in a China shop and you just, you don't, you don't realize it, but like in every single interaction that you have and every relationship that you have, you share those, those things, maybe unknowingly, those parts of your personality or how, how you treat other people based on the experiences that you've been through and um, coping mechanisms that maybe you've developed or defense mechanisms that maybe you've developed. Maybe you have a wall up and you don't let people in for certain reasons. And that hurts your partner because they can't, they feel like they can't connect with you or, Mm. and who knows, you know, and that stems from other things that you haven't worked on. So I think when we talk about being a, a healthy community, it's just so important individually that we do the work. What are some other things just from your perspective that people can do to be mentally healthy and to do the work like you talked about um, outside of seeing a therapist or going to a counselor? Like, what does it look like to either confront things that we need to work on or just habits that we can do that are going to help us be more mentally healthy in general? Meditation has been such a huge thing for me. And that's something that if you've never done it before, it sounds really weird and scary or like terrible. (laughs) Like I'm going to just sit there and think about nothing or something, but there are some great meditation apps that you can turn on and and even just for five minutes, just sit there for five minutes. But I, I think that that what that does for your state of mind and just your own internal peace is amazing. And then I also think, you know, I've read a lot on gut health and how so much of your gut health and, you know, your overall health, but starting in your gut is connected to your mental health. And if you are eating, if you're taking in bad foods, it's the same thing. If you're taking in bad thoughts, if you're taking in bad situations, like toxic situations, and it doesn't produce any good fruit. And so yeah, you've got to be trying to eat good things. And we know what those things are, right? It's less processed food. It's less sugar. It's more fruits and vegetables and sounds so weird. I mean, it's not like we know it, but it's eating better really, really makes a difference in your mental health. Man, this is really cool. Cause it went totally 
philosophical on us and about what it means to be a human being. We've got mental state, we've got the physical body connecting, and then we've got how we relate to others and our innermost being. It's yeah. like, oh man, this is, yeah, that's that's a lot there, you Claire. That, you were having that really deep thought about the essence of being a human being, and I was thinking, oh, this is not good news for the fall festival in Evans. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just one week, Jonathan. Things in moderation, guys. Things in right. moderation. Right. Yeah, no, I think that it, I, I've heard that a lot and I've noticed in my own life that I feel better when I eat better and when I get outside and exercise, like even just going for a walk can can make a world of difference. So those are all really important things to, to recognize that mental health is connected to health and and wellness in general, that being a a well person holistically has several different facets and none of them are separate from the others. So if you were to just kind of picture what if everybody in our community were being intentional about their own mental health, if they were, um, you know, seeking counseling with like working through better understanding themselves, stuff like that. And just like you said, I, I like the phrase that you used doing the work, you know, of, of kind of being mentally healthy from your perspective, how do you think and in your experience as you have done that in your own life, if you were to take that and kind of expand that to a, an Evansville wide picture, um, what do you think that would look like? How would, how would Evansville be different if everybody were, um, being intentional about their own mental health and the mental health of others in their life? I don't know. I don't know. You know, that's a great question. I think that the idea of seeing more of these tools being taught at, in school, like, at, you know, where you see in classrooms, like the taking quiet time, mm. learning meditation at a really young age and breath techniques, uh, making time for exercise and healthy eating. You know, I think that, um, hopefully in, in learning and, and taking time to put an emphasis on your own individual mental health, you know, as that makes you a better person, right? You impact then everyone that you come into contact with. So whether that's at the grocery store and you have a, frustra a frustrating situation comes up, you know, you, you're able to say like, I allow this moment to be what it is. And yeah. you take a deep breath. And instead of maybe reacting right away, right away, you know, you're, you're able to move on. Maybe, maybe driving is better, right? I'm frustrated on the Lloyd all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Less road rage. Yes. You know, yeah. I mean, I think that, that shows up in all those ways. I also think even as a community, you know, because so much of what I do is on social media as well. And I am regularly horrified at comment sections mm. within our community. So whether that's on the news media, social pages or anything else, the comments are just nasty always. And yeah. I think that, if we were all putting our mental health first, maybe we wouldn't say the things that we do online. Yeah, that sounds like a good place to live where there's no nasty comments. There is one way to turn off the nasty comments, though. Just don't look at them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and honestly, put that's one way to protect your peace and your mental health is knowing that that's not a good place to be. <laughs> I, I know that if I get up in the morning and first thing I do is I read through the comments of, of a post, it, it's just not good. It doesn't, it does me no favors. There have been times too. I mean, I have the bad habit a lot of times of putting off getting out of bed to go to work in the morning by scrolling on my phone. 
in about 15 minutes of that. And sometimes I really will feel some anxiety. It's not a good way to start your day. Right. So it's creating those habits, then recognizing things that create those negative feelings and trying to create healthier habits. You know, if you're on Instagram and you're following people that for whatever reason, maybe they're people that you even like, but they don't do anything to better your mental state. They make you insecure in certain ways, you know, unfollow or hide that. So you don't see it. And that way you really are protecting um, yourself in your peace. Yeah. That's almost the same thing that you were saying about physical diet, that you also kind of have a mental diet of, mm. of what am I, what am I taking in, uh, emotionally and mentally and exposing myself to, maybe I need to adjust that diet from time to time. The amazing athletes, right? Like they don't eat garbage food and they don't do things like that. Like they are constantly working on the entirety of themselves, but it's easy to see because then that's physical health, right? Like with an athlete, you see, they, they train hard and they eat right. And then they go and they perform really well it's much harder to see your mental health. Yeah. And I think that's why it's why we overlook it. Um, it's, it's much easier to overlook, but hopefully by talking about these things and creating some awareness, then, you know, more of us will form the discipline. It's, it is, it's yeah. a discipline. Try and make yourself create those habits and do the right thing. Yeah. Real quick. Can you give us like examples of where you have seen, like in the same way that, an athlete puts in the work, eats the right foods, and they see those results physically. Are there like specific things that you can point to that you feel like, man, my life is is a lot better in these areas because I'm doing the work and, and where you kind of like see those gains in a way that makes you feel inspired and encouraged to continue being intentional in that way? I am less angry by the actions of others in a way that, I mean, has changed my life. Mm. And, and that comes from therapy, that comes from my yoga practice, my yoga teacher training, and, and the spiritual side too. But in working on myself and trying to become more focused on, you know, gratitude and things that I love, I, that has just made me a happier person. Mm. And so I'm less responsive. I'm less triggered by things Anger for me was something that I would, I would feel disappointed with, with other people or angry at certain situations. And it just didn't help me any. And so by doing the work and by doing breath work and by doing meditation and by exercising my body and eating the right things, I'm in the best mental place to be able to take on hard challenges in a way that doesn't defeat me. And doesn't leave me going home at the end of the day, frustrated and mad. You know, I feel like I'm happy to be alive and I'm happy to take on the next challenge. It doesn't make everything easy. You know, it just right. makes things easier. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you're sharing today is inspiring. I hope that people listening are encouraged and inspired and, you know, just take a little bit more of a risk, you know, to share, share with somebody, talk, pursue this idea of mental health and you know, developing yourself. I think it's great. Yeah. And we're glad that you're here in our city and uh, contributing, bringing your openness uh, in into Evansville. And we like to kind of have this commitment to our listeners that we're going to bring people onto this podcast who are not just in Evansville, but for Evansville, who are contributing in that way and um, helping us move the ball forward towards the kind of community where everyone can flourish. And we think that, that you're doing that and uh, we appreciate you. 
being on today, sharing your story. Thank you guys. I love what you guys are doing and I hope this is impactful, uh, impacts someone listening. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Thanks so much, Claire. Dr. Stinstrom, thank you for taking the time to be with us. We're looking forward to talking with you about the subject of mental health in Evansville. But before we jump into that, you know, looking at your website and kind of your your job description um, says that you practice psychotherapy and assessment. And I was wondering if you could just kind of unpack for this a little bit about what that means, because uh, to me and maybe to the average person, that kind of just sounds like this really mystical title that makes me think (laughs) that you have this whole deeper level of understanding about how human beings work. And so could you help us understand uh, what do those terms actually mean and what's kind of the, the value that you provide to people? through your practice? Well, psychotherapy is just a fancy way of saying counseling or therapy. Um, there's, there's a lot of different types of psychotherapies, but they're all aimed at helping people get a handle on symptoms or emotional distress, things that are interfering with quality life. And assessment is a way to add some objectivity to the evaluation process. So we use testing instruments and it could be from anything from personality assessments to cognitive and academic functioning or computerized and other tests for ADD, ADHD. Sometimes when, when a psychiatrist or a physician is having a hard time coming up with a diagnosis and they don't want to, uh, to medicate somebody without knowing exactly what they're dealing with, they'll send them for an assessment. Yeah, so you kind of help people kind of understand maybe what's going on, why they're experiencing um, maybe some negative mental health things in their life and identify kind of what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's different type of psychotherapies. There's uh, some just aimed primarily at symptom relief or addiction elimination or bringing addiction under control. Some addictions such as sexual addictions or addictive type behaviors related to food. We obviously don't want to eliminate those, but we want to bring them into balance. There's also depth therapy, and that's looking at, you know, if we can come up with a better understanding of a person's present by looking at their past, how they came to be this way, looking at recurrent patterns in their life, why they tend to gravitate to the same relationships, or something I should have mentioned before, Uh, In addition to individual psychotherapy, we do group and marriage counseling as well. Hmm. And again, it's the same thing, though. You're looking at patterns, you know, what's functional, what's dysfunctional. And we look at making thinking more accurate and replacing behaviors that interfere with quality and satisfaction with others that are more helpful. Hey, we're going to have some practical questions for people that you can help them with navigating the landscape of talking to somebody professionally. But would you just, uh, for now, just you're a person who's spent their whole life caring about mental health um, and mental wellness. And can you just help us understand like what's really important about mental health? Like why is that such an important topic to deal with? I think mental health is central to 
everything. We find out more and more all the time about the link between mental health and physical health, your mental health and the quality of the relationships that you engage in, your satisfaction and well-being. So I believe it's central to everything and that in order to, to have a quality life, a life that's worth living, some self-examination and examination of those patterns and history that that helps. I think people are becoming more aware of what you just talked about, the centrality of mental health to all of these other aspects of life, because everybody is kind of experiencing an increased strain on their mental health, having gone through uh, over a year of being more isolated and experiencing a lot of stressful factors in life and in society. Could you maybe just speak to that a little bit and help us kind of see how has COVID and just all of the unrest um, over the past year in general, how do we expect that those things have probably impacted each of us and our mental health? Well, maybe start off with a positive. I think you just said it, Jonathan, that uh, the pandemic has given us a, a huge shared experience. And, you know, one of the, the benefits of group therapy is that people get in there from different backgrounds, different diagnoses, and they still manage uh, to walk away talking about universality, that we're all human, we're all in this together, we all have something to deal with, and uh, we all bring our strengths to that group, to our community, the relationships and pandemic has got people talking about what's going on with themselves. You know, they're talking about fear and anxiety is no longer taboo. Hmm. Yeah. Over the course of the, the past 20 years, I think that's changing in Evansville as well. You know, when I, I opened my private practice, people would park in at adjacent buildings and other businesses and walk over because they didn't want anybody to see their car. Now, you know, people are are very open. Many are telling their stories publicly. And, uh, you know, that's going to make such a tremendous difference in removing the stigma and normalizing, working on your mental health, working through issues, coming up with better ways to cope and manage, and really just how to how to put some you know, quality back in your life for people who are struggling. What I've seen a lot of over the past year are people who had what might be referred to as subclinical symptoms. Uh, you know, they, they had some fear, anxiety, depression, but it wasn't at a level where they would have ever sought treatment. Well, the pandemic has kind of plugged that into an amplifier. At the same time, talking about this has become a little bit more normal. And so those two things combined mean that people are coming in and dealing with things. And what I'm often hearing is, you know, for me, the pandemic was a good thing in that it forced me to deal with this. And now I've made changes that are going to add quality and well-being to the rest of my life. I'm just imagining now. You know, as people get more comfortable going back to, you know, eat dinner in each other's houses, I mean, maybe not yet, but it's coming. Like a lot of group therapy sessions, informal ones without a professional around the table, you know, just being able to share a little bit more of that. And I'm curious if, you know, Mark, you could help us with just 
Man, if I'm going to engage in those conversations, if I'm, you know, maybe there's some things I should know in terms of if I'm sharing my story with others, but also like if somebody else is sharing with me, you know, or, you know, how do I respond to that? You know, how can we, you know, care for one another in that? You know, what are, are there any basic tips that we could have, you know, like, Hey, if this is going to be a topic of conversation, here's some key questions or some key reactions. What do you think? You know, the, uh, Ellie Weasel, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He wrote Night, Concentration Camp Survivor. He once said that uh, he never wanted anybody to experience humiliation in his presence. And to lead with grace, to lead with kindness and love. But to back up a little bit, uh, know who you're talking to. Not everybody is deserving of your trust. In a therapeutic relationship, you know, for some people it can take a few sessions to really get to the place where they can open and it just flows. But know who you're talking to and, you know, ease your way into it. We're all dealing with something. Uh, Somebody once said that we're all eggs. And if we put enough pressure on those eggs, they're all going to crack. And Ross, you're going to crack along one set of lines and John, you're going to crack along others and I'm going to crack along mine. But we're, we're all in this together. You know, and once we accept that, we realize that the people who are seeking help and wanting to work through this are the courageous ones. And it certainly is a model for good relationships. We think that independence is the the end that we're after. But study after study shows that people engaged in reciprocal relationship, give and take and intimate relationships, they're the people who have most life satisfaction. I'm looking forward to those conversations in person when we get a chance to do it. Yeah. You just pointed to the fact that everybody goes through stuff and everybody experiences some kind of pressure throughout life. And I want to ask, um, you know, what are kind of some of the basic building blocks of being mentally healthy? Um, what are some of the maybe habits or practices or or basic elements that we can look to grow in and maintain and develop in our own lives to help us cope with that pressure in healthy ways and and to rely on each other in those ways? Are there some specific things that you would point us to? Absolutely. You use the word coping. One of the things to keep in mind is that we all have coping strategies. Some are good, some are functional, some of them connect us with others and with ourselves, and some of us leave us more and more isolated. Addictions tend to form when, you know, somebody becomes a one-trick pony. You know, the occasional drink might not be a bad thing, but when that is your constant go-to, right? Sex can be a great relief, but when that is your constant. Now you might have a sexual addiction. You know, I've seen people who prior to the pandemic, they didn't have a gaming addiction. Now they do. I've seen people do it with reading, with Netflix. Mm. Uh, These are all valid ways to cope within moderation, right? And then there's some, of course, that, you know, we're looking for a bigger and bigger hit of dopamine. So uh, we turn to drugs and it's pretty much always bad. Having a wide range of coping strategies and, uh, and tools is a great thing. One of those things is relationships, quality relationships. And it's one of the reasons the pandemic is hit us so hard because 
One of the best things that you can do physically is social distance. And yet we tend to, you know, cut off from the people that we find reassurance in and from, you know, where we lose ourselves in quality relationships, caring for others and uh, caught up in moments and experiences. We don't have that anymore. And that helps regulate us emotionally. So one of the things people are doing increasingly is they're turning to social media. You know, if I'm stressed out, a lot of us don't think of going for a walk or practicing mindfulness or just listening to some great music and losing ourselves in that. Instead, we pick up and get on our screens because it delivers a little dopamine hit. Suddenly, we're awash in good and bad information, most of us without the ability or the, the knowledge to make sense out of what is good and bad. That reminds me of the time I asked a bunch of students, do you think that social media contributes to your happiness? And out of the couple hundred students there, no hands went up. <laughs> and then I asked, how many of you were on social media this morning? <laughs> like every hand, you know, flies up in the air and just people started laughing, you know, but I, you know, that dopamine that so social media gives you, you know, can you just like, what does that mean? What's it, what's dopamine? And what do you mean that social media gives you this hit? Just in, you know, in case people don't know what you're referring to, what does that mean? A lot of us are, are hungry for a little dopamine. We're made to want it, right? And it's usually associated with good things. So uh, if we go to social media, we can look at some post from a friend or Twitter post from somebody that we agree with, and we might experience a little bit of a bump in dopamine. Our system responds by producing more dopamine, and that's gratifying. If we get that same message or a similar message from our wife, a girlfriend, somebody we really care about strongly, we see a little bit more of a dopamine bump. And one of the ways that we measure the addictiveness of a substance is what is the dopamine increase associated with the substance? So nicotine, alcohol, 100, 150% bump, an orgasm, 150, 200% bump, crack cocaine, 700% bump, very wow. addictive. The thing is, that dopamine hit that we get from looking at our screens can be just about constant, and we can do it in isolation. And so it doesn't necessarily seem intuitive to go outside and you know do a little mindfulness exercise like, what am I seeing? What am I smelling? What am I feeling? Uh, what do I hear? Are the birds active right now? And really, for that to begin paying off, it's something that you need to make a daily habit of. There's been some research that says three to five minutes of spending time outdoors and practicing mindfulness. If you do that for a few weeks, almost across the board, people report increased feelings of well-being and satisfaction with their life. Now, isn't that something that we need in the middle of this? Right. But I hear you saying that that takes a little more uh, effort doing that consistently, whereas it's easy just to pull out your phone and it's right there. And it's kind of an instant gratification thing versus, you know, patience, more of a patience and investment in yourself and in your mental health. Is that kind of why we see social media addiction and screen addictions being so widespread is, is kind of the convenience and ease of access? Well, sure. And the thing is, you know, people who aren't feeling good, whether it's emotionally or physically, um, fatigue comes quick and easy. You're weary. 
and you want to take it easy. There's nothing right. wrong with it for a day or two, but you know, the person who used to go out and sit down and eat once or twice a week, maybe now they're just pulling through the fast food drive through four or five times a week. And if you make a habit of that, you start to feel, as one of my clients said, kind of like you slimed yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And again, something from uh, the recovery community, they've got a saying that ease is sleaze. These things that are easy, they're not bad as a one-off. But when you do them continuously, when you make a habit out of it, when it becomes your way of coping or dealing with your fatigue, then it starts to have an inverse or negative effect. Yeah. You know, maybe there are more people out there who are thinking, you know, maybe therapy is something that I would benefit from and stuff like that. But there might still be some hesitation of just the simple fear of the unknown. I've never been to therapy before. I don't know what it's like. Sounds kind of scary to have to talk about um, different things that I might be going through or dealing with, especially with somebody I've never met before. So could you maybe speak to what can somebody expect if they go to a therapist? How do they find a therapist? Uh, Find a a good one who's a good fit for them? And what, what does it look like when they get there? You know, the first session is kind of a getting to know you session, right? Um, I don't treat a diagnosis. I treat people and I work with people and I collaborate with people, you know, so I need a context. So that first session, you know, I want to find out all about you. I want to know what you're into, what your history is, you know, given some free time, how would you spend it? Um, do you see the recurrent patterns in your life? What do you struggle with? Sure, we've, we focused on that. But it's a lot more than that. It's so much about getting comfortable, getting to know somebody. And like any relationship, it takes a little bit of time. Trust can take a little bit of time to build. And for some people dealing with some pretty easy or basic things, they might want to go see somebody with not a lot of training. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be their pastor. It could be a good friend. You talked about you can't wait to sit around the dinner table. That might be the place to start, right? If it seems a little bit more intrusive or that it's messing up your life more, then you want to talk to a professional. I don't think there's anything to be lost by talking to a professional, no matter where you're at. No, that's super helpful. And I appreciate you saying you might just want to start with talking to a trusted person. And, you know, unless you know you need to talk to, you know, somebody with some significant training. But I think that's... You know, one of the things we hope to highlight is, you know, we all have to help each other with our mental wellness. It's a, it's a highlighted issue from what we're doing because it impacts so many things. So just that idea of caring for one another, uh, we really want people to, to dive into what does that look like in my life? You know, what does it mean to care for my neighbor? Yeah, Ross, um, I think I said something along these lines earlier, but there's this great children's book. It's called Everyone Poops, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is a great children's book. I agree. Yeah. Well, you know what? Everybody's got their thing. And when you bring something like this up with a trusted friend or when you're sitting around that table that you talked about, so many times there's somebody else there that was just hoping somebody else would start talking about this. It gives you that feeling that we're in this together. Or at least that you're not alone. 
That's great. So get the book, Everyone Poops, and uh, <laughs> remember call, that you also call, have poop. Call up your call <laughs> up your friend, call up your loved one, uh, talk to them about the things that you're going through, the things that you're struggling with, and that opens the door for them to share as well. Thanks so much for your time and sharing your perspective with us, and uh, we hope that it'll be a benefit to people who are listening and that they'll have some key things to take away, not just for them, but also for other people in their life and the way that they can be supportive of those around them too. Yeah, appreciate it. It's been a real pleasure. Hey, so we're, we're just going to take a few minutes now to just sort of react to what we've heard from Claire and what we heard from Dr. Stenstrom and just kind of share some of our personal reactions and also why we think it matters for Evansville. Um, so Jonathan, you know, share kind of what, what, are you, what did you feel? What did you experience in those conversations? Uh, well, I think my first reaction is that in this episode and in the previous episode, um, it felt less heavy than I expected it to. Like I, whenever I hear the term mental health, whenever I just think about the concept of mental health, I almost brace myself to be kind of emotionally drained Yeah, because right. it's like, mm-hmm. oh, great. Now we have to talk about um, just all the things that we don't like to talk about. <laughs> um, but actually like talking about those things is kind of refreshing, acknowledging the fact that like life can be really hard sometimes. Uh, we all have pain that we've experienced. We all have loss that we've experienced in varying degrees. And having that conversation, talking about that, you feel less alone in the world because Mm -hmm. you acknowledge like everybody's going through something. And it's, yeah, it's just refreshing to have that conversation, even on the broad, like general level that we did. Yeah, I agree. I, I had a couple of reactions I'd share, just my personal reactions. One is um, the idea of rhythms, you know, and disciplines and the things that we do on a day-to-day basis are shaping us. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, how intentional are we about what those things are? You know, and I, I appreciated uh, both, especially Claire and Dr. Strindstrom pointing out, you know, whether it's journaling with what Claire said, you know, this was a practice that she started doing and that was super helpful. And so she decided what practice was going to form her, right. what was going to shape her. And then, you know, Dr. Strindstrom pointing out um, coping mechanisms can be really positive and good, especially when done in moderation. But when they start to be things that we're not really mindful of, thoughtful about, they start to shape us in a negative way, impacts our, our mental well-being in a negative way. And then the the second reaction, um, other than just the rhythms and the intentionality of that, that's important, is just the idea of whole person health. Yeah. You know, it's so easy to just t- talk about the physical needs and to focus on uh, financial needs and other things. And mental health, it, it just doesn't have the same kind of elevated presence in our mind, in our community. Right. You know, it, it's sort of that thing that's, it's yeah, it's important, but we don't know how to address it as well. And it, we don't really know how to identify it as well or how to help. And it's it's not as tangible. Right. Um, and so I just really found myself reflecting on that. And, you know, I think it's always probably going to be something that's harder to figure out, um, but it's changing. You know, we're, we're as a community addressing it more. And if we want to be a place where every person can flourish and really have a thriving life, uh, we have to address the whole person. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, in our um, vision statement for 
you know, whenever we picture an, an Evansville where everyone can flourish, one of the things that we say is that it would be a place where every person prioritizes the holistic well-being of all people. Right. And so, you know, there are different aspects to well-being. And this is one of the really important ones that kind of undergirds all of the others as well. And whenever I picture like, what's the kind of community that we want to live in? What's the kind of city that we want to have in 10 years, 20 mm -hmm. years, 30 right. years? You know, I want it to be a place where people are at peace, not just internally, but externally, that they have meaningful relationships that are enriching to their life, that whenever they face challenges, they're well supported and they uh, feel the freedom to open up and be vulnerable with people and that people are going to be there to love them and, and care for them and support them. That when I'm having a bad day, <laughs> the people who aren't having their bad day today can sort of rally around me and, and, and that I can do the same for them. Uh, I think that's a really beautiful picture of Evansville's future and something that we can all sort of strive for. I love that. That's a great way to wrap up the episode and just to dream about this challenging year being a catalyst to pursue that reality. Mm -hmm.